Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome everybody to our next online service here in Arena Church. And uh, if you've been joining us regularly, thank you and welcome again. And if you're visiting today, you've come on, you've come on by invite from a friend or a member of the family, maybe even in another part of the world. Uh, and that's the real upside of uh, this sort of communication, then you're very welcome. And we're trusting that God will minister in the power of his word over these next minutes. It's the fourth Sunday of February, and it's the fourth and final message uh, under our headline, The Name of the Lord Is. Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And the verse that we're going to particularly center the comments around today is found in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, chapter 6 and verse 24. So Gideon built an altar and called it, The Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom. We've taking a look at some of the names of God. There are many, and I hope that you've got a sense of the feel and flavour of what we've been trying to communicate. Because as we've run to the names of God, God has been showing himself, revealing himself in what he wants to do in our lives. Week one, Jehovah Raha, the Lord is our shepherd. And then Christian taking weeks two and three, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our healer. I believe there's going to be a great afterwash from the ministry of last week in healing. Get ready. God is going to really work in the days ahead and minister to people in healing power. And we conclude today with Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. We're going to seek to set this unveiling of God's word right into the context of which was revealed through a man called Gideon. And as we paint the pictures around Gideon's life, you'll see that into it, this really was a tremendous revealing of God's because Actually, it was in a time of conflict that God came and showed himself to be peace. What a year we've endured, a year of conflict of this way and that way. Maybe we felt battered and bruised at times, not literally, but psychologically, mentally, relationally. And God comes again, and if we have an open heart reveals himself, even in that, to be peace. Now, briefly, the book of Judges is found towards the beginning of the Old Testament and it's marked by dysfunctionality. In fact, if you gave the book of Judges to read to one of your non-believing friends, they'd probably be wondering what on earth is going off. But briefly, God's supposed covenant people come corrupt 
and compromising. In fact, they never fully routed the enemy tribes from the promised land as God had encouraged them and instructed them to do so. And they paid a heavy price. They became feckless and faithless in their attitude to God. And I'm going to seek to illustrate this by two verses from Judges. One towards the beginning and then one right at the end. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 it says, Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Another generation grew up that neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One preacher said this, when the people of God are not told the works of God from the word of God, they lose the wonder of God. I want to just for a moment encourage people that have been raised in a Christian home. I encourage you as a young person, don't rail against that. It's a tremendous blessing to be raised in a home where the stories of God's goodness in the past are relayed into the present to set us up for the future. I want to suggest that if that is your journey of a Christian home, you ought to be thanking God every day. And then the last verse of the last chapter of Judges and I'm quoting it from the King James Version, Judges 21-25. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. I want to say that that reflects modern society at times. Everybody doing their own thing. Everybody demanding their rights and yet often not yielding to their responsibilities. And when we just do our own thing and go our own way and please ourselves, it brings a fruit that is not good. And so a rejection of the covenant call and the authority and direction and purpose of God led in the book of Judges to anarchy, to chaos and to failure. There was a repetitive cycle of sin, Oppression, repentance, deliverance, and then some peace. As I said, very, very dysfunctional. And God expressed, even though the people on occasions really deserved it, his extraordinary faithfulness. And he raised up people, men and women, that would bring deliverance as the people yet again cried out to him. And these people were called judges. Judges 2.16 Then the Lord raised up judges who saved the people out of the hands of the raiders. What are these judges? Well, forget Judge Judy and Judge Rinder and Rumpole of the Bailey. That's going back a little bit. We're not talking about courtroom judges we're talking about leaders who God raised up for a time and a situation to bring direction and deliverance God's delegated authority Old Testament 
and New Testament, God has always expressed leadership through delegated authority. When we rail against that, it doesn't work. So, these judges, well, many of them, we don't have time to mention them, were really less than perfect. In fact, as they say around these parts at times, some of them were a bit odd. And uh, they were often uh, fallible in their own journey. And whilst God's Spirit, and it says specifically on occasions that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, did not endorse everything, the Spirit of God came to empower people to win through. Into this mess, God calls a flawed young man. His name is Gideon. And through a sequence of events, Gideon receives the revelation of Jehovah Shalom. I'm going to concentrate the comments over the next minutes to Judges chapter 6. And I'd encourage you to read the chapter sometime this week. It'll only take you a few minutes. And because of time, I'm just going to bullet point a number of things that bring us to the ultimate understanding of Jehovah is peace. And so come with me to Judges 6 and notice firstly the situation. Verses 1 to 10. It says there in those verses that the people of God did evil in the sight of the Lord. And there were consequences. They became oppressed and opposed by the enemy tribes. In this instance, the Midianites. And the Midianites would watch the people sow for the harvest. They would watch the people toil and labour in the land. And then at the appropriate time they would come and pillage the harvest and take it to themselves and rout the land. And this went on for seven long years. And the people cried out to the Lord, saying, God, what are you doing? Failing to recognise that it was the consequence of their own actions that had brought this problem right to the heart of the nation. And God reminded them that they'd not listened to him. Read those verses and you will see fear, despair and poverty. I wonder whether we could actually place those words into the challenges of our nation and the nations over the last 12 months as we've sought to navigate unprecedented times. People fearful, people despairing, and yes, people struggling and wrestling with poverty. That was the situation that the people were in. And then the confrontation. Because in verses 11 and 12, as I've already mentioned, God in his faithfulness didn't just blow the people out of the water and say, that's it, you're finished. But in his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, he came 
and said, I will bring a deliverance. And God always cooperates with people. And he came to Gideon. Gideon was threshing the wheat. It was an ordinary every day. And God confronted him through the angel of the Lord. Now, when we use the word confrontation, we can often get a negative picture. There was a confrontation uh, uh, as people broke the law. There was a confrontation as uh, people gathered to protest, etc. But confrontation in the Scriptures was often not negative, but positive. If I can use a modern phrase, God got in the face of people. He confronted Abraham. He confronted Moses in a burning bush. He confronted Jacob and had a wrestling match with him in the night. He confronted Joshua and Joshua fell uh, before him as dead. He confronted the Apostle Paul who was then Saul breathing threatenings against the church. And so we could go on. God stepping into time and confronting people for a purpose. And here the angel of the Lord confronts Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I want to encourage you to see that the confrontations of God that come to our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, sometimes through the ministered word, sometimes in our own devotional times, sometimes through a prophetic word that God comes to us, shouldn't be resisted, but be embraced. And the confrontations of God will always be defined by His presence. And you'll hear more about that in the weeks ahead. Thirdly, the prevarication. Verses 13 to 15. What do I mean by this? Well, the word means evasion or avoidance. The Lord is with you. Mighty warrior. And Gideon says, yeah, right. You what? We've got all these problems and you're calling me a mighty warrior. And he sought to prevaricate. And he did it by excuse. Excuse. I want to camp here for a moment or two. Because it is so important that we don't live our life in the power of excuse. Looking for what God, looking for ways around to evade and avoid what God is calling us to do. This message is a message in itself, but I want to just very briefly show to you there were six elements to the excuse. It was a six-fold excuse that Gideon rolled out in verses 13 to 15 as he responded to the call to be a deliverer, a mighty warrior for the people. One, the excuse of the why. Verse 13, why has all this happened? 
Be encouraged today that if you have been a Christian believer for any length of time, you will need to step into the grace of living with the why. Why did this happen? Why did that fail? Why has that gone wrong? Why did that person die? You will have to live with the why. And the why cuts very deep on occasions. What are you going to do with the why? Are you going to let it define you? Deplete you? And sadly, even for some believers, they've allowed the why to disillusion them. And whilst they may still be walking with God, it's walking with God at a distance. No, God draws us in. And we need to recognise that there are things at times that we won't fully understand until the perfect day. And mark them and leave them with the Lord. There was the excuse of the yesteryear. Where are all the wonders of the yesteryear? If you make the excuse of living in the past, it will frustrate the present and defy the future. God is doing a new thing. God is about to do a new thing as we emerge to a better day. As one great church leader says, the best local churches in the earth are yet to be planted. Number three, the excuse of resignation. The Lord's abandoned us. It's all pointless. To quote Private Fraser in Dad's army, we're all doomed. No, we're not. God's got a purpose and a destiny for our lives and causes not to live in the abject failure of resignation. But rising up to embrace what God wants to do. The excuse of inferiority. Verse 15. Can I save Israel? And sadly at times we mix humility. An incredible kingdom principle with inferiority. Again as one great pastor has said. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. But thinking of yourself Less. Be you. Be you in your gifting. Be you in your calling. With a spirit of humility. But don't make it the excuse of inferiority. Fifthly, the excuse of backgrounds. My clan is the weakest. You feel that you've lived in the wrong postcode. The wrong side of the street. The wrong town. The wrong family. You're the least. You're the weakest. You're nothing. Do you know that God says that he comes to the things that are not to nullify the things that are? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31, read it. When the apostles were filling Jerusalem and the early church was growing at a pace, he says that these people have filled Jerusalem with the teachings of Jesus And yet they're ignorant, unschooled men. Fishermen from the north filling the city. What's going off? The original understanding of that verse describes the early apostles as ungrammatical idiots. And yet God took hold of them and used them 
to establish the church that we still live in the power of today. There's no pushback from me on developing your education, taking it as far as you can, learning as a lifelong commitment. But you may have grown up like me on the council estate. You may have grown up going like me to a fairly bog-standard secondary school. You may, me, have felt that you didn't get the qualifications that you would like. An almighty God still comes and says, don't hide behind the excuse, because I've called you to be a mighty warrior. And then sixthly, the excuse of youth. Verse 15, I'm the least, or as an understanding of this verse says, I'm the youngest, I'm the least. I felt strong in my spirit in recent weeks that God is coming out to a young generation to rise up and be what God has called you to be. Not using youthfulness as an excuse. One contemporary commentator, Kari Newhoff, says this. It's going to take the leadership of the next generation to reach the next generation. It's going to take the leadership of the next generation to reach the next generation. That doesn't cut off older people like me, but it does mean at times that there's going to be a particular grace on youthfulness to communicate the good news of Jesus to youthfulness. So that when you use words that I'm, when you use words like it's sick, I go somewhere on that. You're saying it's great. And you get the youth duration, you get the vibe, you get where they're at. And God is calling a youthful generation to win the next generation. I was thinking about this. And I'm encouraging you today not to make it an excuse. Here's a few people that rose up in their youth to be mighty for God. The great evangelical John Stott was 29 when he became rector of All Souls Langham Place. One of the great Anglican churches opposite the BBC headquarters in London. He led it and he served all of his life in that church and was an incredible reach out. For the glory of God. C.H. Spurgeon, we love to quote him, but he was a pastor at 19. Read in Mark Batterson's latest book of the crisis he navigated when he was preaching in the Surrey Horse because there wasn't room enough for his 10,000 strong congregation when there was a tragedy. Seven people died, 29 people seriously injured. He was 22. He just, his wife had given birth to two. Uh, twin boys just weeks before carrying the ministry in Jesus' name. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary, American missionary to Ecuador, martyred for the faith, never saw 30, 29. Will Gordon, called from one of the richest, wealthiest families in the US through dairy products, missionary to Egypt. Died at 26. Billy Graham did his first mission to England, 1954, at Haringey. 34, coming to this country, facing 
The opposition was so great, there was a debate in the Houses of Parliament. Evan Roberts, the catalyst for the Welsh Revival, when all that kicked off in 1904-5, 26. Timothy, the pastor of the Ephesus Church, with lots of challenges and issues. He was encouraged by his father in the faith, Paul. We've got two letters uh, regarding that in the New Testament, 30. Phil Pye left Arbin, uh, and in uh, production management, went to Bible college at 22, leading a church at 24 on his own, married a week. Christian Thorpe at 19, giving up a potentially lucrative career in banking to go to a ministry school in Milton Keynes. And if I can say it respectfully, Jesus, the Lord Jesus cried, finished. He was 33. You see, we can hang about forever. And I'm calling that young generation not to make youthfulness an excuse, but to step in, to say that the weak are strong, and to realize that Jehovah Shalom is with you and will be with you. Number four, the, the confirmation. The confirmation, verses 14 to 16. The angel of the Lord came back to Gideon and says, Go in the strength you have, and I will be with you. And you read there that Gideon created a meal. It's, also, it's almost symbolic of the meal that we would call the breaking of bread. He created a meal. He presented it in worship to the Lord, and it was consumed by fire. The confrontation completes. The confirmation coming strong. He would not die. He would live and be empowered to do the will of God. Which fifthly brings us to verse 24. The revelation. So Gideon built an altar and called it the Lord is peace. Jehovah in the Jewish community, even today, shalom is used regularly as a greeting. And those of you that have travelled a lot will know that in various cultures there are various words used at times to express greeting to people. Here, it's shalom. It means peace, but it means so much more than that. It means completeness. If I say shalom to somebody, I'm expressing a deep sense of wanting that person to be blessed in every way. And we have the peace of God and the peace from God. But more than that, we have Peace, because God is peace. Now notice, and we clearly don't have time to develop the Gideon story, and there are many other lessons to learn, but notice as we read on from Judges chapter 6, Gideon is sent into battle. He's sent into battle to deliver the people from the oppressive, invading, routing, enemy army of the Midianites. And many of you know the story, how God says, yeah, let's do it the hard way. 
Let's reduce the army from 32,000 to 300. And there was a process that reduced it. And you can read in the ensuing chapters of the incredible victory that God gave. Listen, shalom is not the absence of challenge and conflict. Shalom is not without stretch that faith and challenge of life and ministry will bring. You've heard that God is a provider. As Christians spoke in week two, notice he provided in the test. And notice that we were encouraged to get a story. You get a testimony from a test. And in it, God will be peace. Shalom is not you being cocooned in a nice comfort blanket with your hands wrapped round a a warm mug of coffee on a cold, dark winter's day and everything's safe and nice. He was called to battle. He was called to deliver. He was called to take on the army. He was called to extend the kingdom. And so are we. And if I can say it carefully at times, friends, it's often bloody and gory and difficult and stretching. And Shalom says, in all of that, you can know peace. As I close, we started off this by saying the redemptive revelation of the names of God found their fulfilment through the old covenant into the new, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jehovah, Jesus, Saviour, Christ, Messiah. Wow. Jesus, the good chief and great shepherd. Jesus, the provider. And my God shall provide all of your needs according to his glories in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the healer, of the brokenhearted. And Jesus, shalom. Isaiah 9.6, the Prince of Peace. Jesus speaking to the disciples in John 14. Peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I am the Lord's. That is my name. As you can see, we've not just spoken about a name We've sought to spoke about who God is. Revealed in Jesus Christ. And still made real in the power of the Holy Spirit today. May we run to the name of the Lord. May we live under the canopy of all that His name means. May we experience the reality in every aspect of our lives. May you today, in any anxiety or any fear, know peace. May you today hear afresh the call over your life. Wherever you are, however young you may be in the faith or infant in years, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, to be something significant to Him. I can't always guarantee to you that it will be easy. But I can guarantee 
that you will know shalom. Let's pray. And so as we close our message and as we close this series, every week we determine to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. He's changed our lives forever, made an incredible difference. He's a friend that is closer than a brother. He's forgiven us and forgives us. He's been faithful and will be faithful. And somehow he takes hold of flawed dysfunctional people and says I want to partner with you and use you for my glory it's quite unbelievable and yet true and God wants to use you and this morning and today if you've never given your life to Jesus this is a great starting point he comes and gets in your face today confronts you in the power of the Holy Spirit and says now is the day of salvation why don't you receive his forgiveness why don't you let him become the lord of your life and take control god can make a far better job of your life than you can on your own there's a response button right there on the screen now expressing that you want to give your life to jesus and in a moment i'm going to pray and to all the believers that have engaged again with the word of god let him be the shepherd. Let him be the provider. Let him be the healer. And let him be peace to your life. Allow God to come to you afresh. And take hold of your life. Don't skirt around. Don't hide behind the excuse. Yield afresh to God. Know his peace. And see what the Lord will do. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for being with us in these weeks. Thank you that they're not just names, they're you. And thank you that you have come close, Lord. Thank you that you're amazingly faithful. Thank you that even when we mess up and get it wrong, you come again. And I release your word today, Lord, to bring people to Jesus Christ so that they might be saved and born again of your Spirit. And I release your word over every listening ear. That every one of us would hear the call to be a mighty warrior. And stand in what you have determined us to be. And in it, we'd know your amazing peace. Amen.